Have you heard the news? Numa Worship's first instrumental album is out on your digital platform from the 30th of October. You can search for Numa Worship Stillness Album, download all 10 tracks and you will be blessed. Hi, this is Corey Turner. And along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. Well, welcome everyone to Newman Church, wherever you're watching this online. Particularly, I want to do a massive shout out to everyone watching from the city of Melbourne. Uh, Just know that our prayers, our hearts are with you in this season as together we navigate all of the challenges of the restrictions that are changing, yes, but we're wanting to move back into a live gathering format as soon as possible. For everyone who is connected to Numa Church locations in the City of Melbourne, make sure you stay tuned and connected to all things on social media platforms as well as email as we communicate over the coming weeks and months uh, the potential changes and uh, uh, plan that we have for re-entry into live gatherings. For everyone else who's watching online, whether you belong to our Numa Perth location or in Numa, Bangkok, Thailand, uh, or whether or not you're a part of a Numa church, but you're just watching this from around the world uh, or uh, just from your own home, we just want to welcome you to Numa Church. I'm so excited about the Word that God has put upon my heart today. I believe it's a Word in season for us as a church. It's going to bless you. It's going to encourage you. It's definitely stirred my spirit, fired me up. And I know that uh, as you lean in and open up your heart, the Spirit of God is going to encourage you and speak to you as we get into the Word. But let's pray together and we're going to go straight into it. Father, we thank You so much for Your goodness and Your grace at work in our lives. We thank You, Lord, that You're faithful in every season of our lives. And God, today I pray that, Lord, Your Holy Spirit would speak to us through Your Word. Your Word says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Let this message be an inspired rhema word in season into each one of our hearts. I pray for every person watching online, whether or not they're a believer, Lord, they're watching, they're listening, they're wanting to grow and understand more about who You are, about what church is. I pray, Father, right now, that every one of us would have an encounter with the Holy Spirit, that God, You would stir our hearts, that You would wake us up out of any spiritual apathy or complacency. And God, that You would ready us and prepare us, O God, for all that You've got for us in the coming days. I pray Your blessing upon Numa Church, whichever location we're a part of. I pray Your blessing upon every home, every marriage, every business, Lord, that and family that's represented, O God, in this church. I pray, Father, for the City of Melbourne, that God, it would continue to open up in Jesus' Name. And Lord, we would see, O God, churches open up, businesses open up. Lord, the economy open up. Lord, healing break out all across our city and state of Victoria. And Father, we pray and thank You and declare that Australia shall be known as the great Southland of the Holy Spirit, where a great move of God will break out across this land for Your glory and honour. We commit all these things to You in Jesus' Name. Amen. Well, I want to invite you to open up your Bible with me to Acts chapter 1. 
And uh, we're going to be reading from Acts chapter 1, verses 12 to 14. And uh, just a couple of weeks ago, uh, I preached from Acts chapter 2 on the prescription for powerlessness. And uh, I really feel that God's speaking to me out of the book of Acts in this season for the church. And Acts chapter 1, verse 12 to 14 says this, Then they, that is the disciples, returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James the son of Elpheus, Simon the zealot and Judas the son of James. Verse 14, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. I want to speak to you today on the subject, the upper room, the upper room. Now, before I answer God's call, along with my wife to lead this amazing church called Numa Church, I in fact travelled as an itinerant speaker for six solid years around the world. And uh, for 47 weeks a year, I was travelling, I was on the road, and every weekend I was in a different city, in a different church, different conference, somewhere around the world, uh, and really getting uh, a schooling and, and great experience into what God was doing around the world. And one of the cities that I often ministered in was in Jakarta, Indonesia. Amazing city, one of the busiest cities in the world in terms of traffic and population. And uh, there is a revival that's happening in Indonesia at the moment. In fact, so many people are getting saved in the largest Islamic nation on earth that conservative estimates by Islamic politicians are saying that by the year 2050, 80% of Indonesia will be born again Christian. That is the pace and rate at which conversion is happening. Now, you won't read that on Wikipedia website because it will tell you something else. But at the grassroots of that nation, there is a fundamental, powerful move of God. And in a conversation with one of the pastors that I was ministering for, I was asking him, what do you, does he think is the reason why there is such a move of God in that nation? And he looked at me with a smile and said, that's easy. He said, prayer tower. I said, what's prayer tower? He said, look out the window. And I looked out of my hotel room window and there was this massive skyscraper, 35 stories. And the pastor said, one of the church members that belongs to our church, he in fact owns that skyscraper. I'm like, that's a very good church member to have in your church. And at the top of that skyscraper, they have made room for 24-7 prayer in the upper room, prayer, and they call it prayer tower. And he said, uh, for many, many years, all across Indonesia, the church in that nation made a decision that they were going to start prayer towers all across the nation of Indonesia. And I, in fact, had the privilege of not only uh, attending one of these prayer meetings, but ministering in them. And particularly the one I um, went to was a 24-7 prayer meeting that had been running for 16 years straight. And I asked the pastor, help me understand how a prayer meeting can run for 16 years. He said, well, they operate in two-hour shifts. 
And he took me to this prayer tower. And in one section, there was room for 500 people. And in another section, there was room for two, 300 people. And every two hours, there was a rotation of shift of prayer leaders and musicians who literally would change within seconds and continue this prayer meeting, which has been perpetuated back then several years ago for 16 years. In fact, there were so many Muslims getting saved and converting to Christianity that at that time, many years ago, Colonel Gaddafi from Libya actually funded personally the building of a mosque one kilometre from Prayer Tower to stop the flow of the amount of people that were getting saved through the ministry of this church. I had the privilege of standing and ministering in the auditorium of that church and it has 11,000 seats. And three times on a Saturday, because they don't have a permit to meet on a Sunday, three times on a Saturday, it is filled up with people singing and declaring the goodness of the glory of Jesus in that church. Well, in Carl Brumbach's book, A Sound from Heaven, he writes about the beginning of the 20th century outpouring of the Holy Spirit known as the Pentecostal revival of which we are benefiting from today as Numa Church uh, all of these years later. And before Azusa Street in LA, which is uh, popularly known as the um, beginning of the Pentecostal revival, there was a town in Kansas called Topeka. And this is the true birthing place in the modern era of the Pentecostal outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The outpouring of the Spirit of the 20th century did not begin on a street corner. In fact, it began in a house. Charles Parham purchased Stone's Mansion in the year 1900 and he converted it into Bethel Bible College. And Charles Parham was the principal and what he did is he cut an opening into one of the turrets, one of the domes on this mansion and he required that each of his students for a minimum of three hours a day would go into the upper room, into the prayer tower of this turret that he'd made an opening for to seek God for the fullness of the Holy Spirit for the great commission to which Jesus had called us to 2,000 years before. Miss Agnes Osman was the first student to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit in one of these upper room experiences. And she describes it in the book by saying, prayer was offered night and day, continually in a special upper room set apart as a prayer tower. She said, I had many blessed hours of prayer in this upper room during the night watches. I longed more for the Holy Spirit to come than my necessary food. At night, I had a greater desire for Jesus than for sleep. One night at about 10 o'clock, while in one of the upper rooms, there were several in the mansion, cloven tongues as of fire came down into the corner of the room. I saw them with my eyes, she says, and suddenly our vocal cords and tongues changed so that we began to speak in other tongues and praise God. 
She says, my life, our Bible college and history reveals, in fact, the entire world was never the same after that night. Fast forward to today. You and I here at Numa Church, all across the world, we are still living in the uh, reaping, the consequences of what was poured out in that mansion, Stone's Mansion in Topeka, Kansas. What was poured out in the Welsh Revival in Great Britain? What was poured out in Azusa Street in Los Angeles? In fact, there is no disputing about it. The fastest growing move of God in Christianity today are those churches that are filled with the Holy Holy Spirit, emphasising prayer. The great revivals in South America, Asia and Africa are all birthed in Pentecostal churches that are preaching the Gospel and the fullness of the power of the Holy Spirit and are calling people to 24-7 prayer. And you contrast what is happening in the move of God around the world with the spiritual complacency of what is going on even in our city of Melbourne. What's happening around the secularised nation of Australia, but that is not God's intention for our land. We will prophesy over that we would be the great South land of the Holy Spirit. And I am calling you as a follower of Jesus to tell you it's time to go to the upper room. It's time to come back to the upper room, the prayer tower, the prayer chamber. It really doesn't matter what you call it. What matters is that you do it because 2,000 years ago, the birth of the early church took place in the upper room. The Bible says in verse 13 of this passage that when the disciples had entered Jerusalem, they went up to the upper room. You see, the upper room refers to a top floor. In fact, in many Palestinian houses, it was often the third floor that was accessible by outside steps. And on that third floor, on that top floor, the upper room, it was often used as a dining area. It was used as a study area where students would gather together. And it was often sublet to poorer people to actually live in the upper room. In other words, it was a meeting place where people would gather together, have fellowship, build relationship, study, live their lives together. Will the disciples at the command of Jesus turns the common place of residence in the upper room into a sacred space of God's presence. They turn the common spaces of lifestyle into the sacred spaces of intercession. And I believe that God is coming to us as Numa Church in this hour and He's saying it's time to go to the upper room again. It's time to turn the common place of our lifestyle, our residence into sacred spaces of intercession and prayer where we begin to see the move of God begin in our hearts, our families and right across our church and community. You see, there was a movie uh, made several years ago, a great famous Australian movie called The Castle. And in the castle, Dale Kerrigan talked about the great Australian dream, that a man's house is his castle. And it emphasised this notion of, you know, get yourself a property, buy a property, and that becomes your castle. One of the things I've observed and identified about living in Australia is that many of us live very independently of each other. We live very isolated and disconnected. And 
particularly during a season of what we've faced, where we've all been in our bubbles of isolation, even more so this issue of independence and isolation has been emphasised much to the, the, the lack of well-being for many of us as Australian citizens. Well, in contrast to that, we see in the early church, in Acts chapter 5, verse 42, the Bible says every day, the emphasis on not just once a week, but every day in the temple and from house to house, they didn't cease teaching and preaching the Word of God. I want to ask you today, do you see your house as a sacred space to minister to God in? as a sacred space to minister to people in? Or do you see it as a castle to be confined in? Do you see your house as a sacred space of prayer, intercession, an oasis for your family to celebrate life, but also to minister to neighbours and other people in? Or do you see it as a castle that you bunker down in and confine yourself in? Because one of the dangers of succumbing to this season of isolation that we've all gone through, particularly in the city of Melbourne, is that we get so caught up in our bubbles of self-absorption that we allow the spirit of fear to encroach upon us and become so familiar to us that the new normal of our life is to live independent, not only of each other, but in fact, try and do this independent of God Himself. Can I encourage you to turn the common place of residence that you live in, not into a castle to be confined in, but into an upper room, sacred space to begin to pray and intercede, to begin to build an altar of worship that will overflow into other people's lives around you. Numa Church, it's time to go to the upper room. You see, the upper room is a place of unified agreement. The Bible says in verse 14, a very important phrase, and I want to emphasise it to you, all these with one accord. That phrase, one accord, with one accord means with one mind, one purpose, one passion, one priority. In other words, there were no divided interests. There was one focus. No wonder God poured out His Spirit because there was a symphony of holy agreement around prayer in the early church. It was the first priority of the early church before the outpouring of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost. You know, if any of you are into classical music or ever been to a symphony orchestra, you'll know that an orchestra requires every musician to play their complementary part in agreement with the conductor. Well, the church is called to lift up a symphony of the sound of prayer that will shake the corridors of hell itself. And Jesus taught us that there was power in the unified agreement when it comes to the Father's will. The Bible says in Matthew 18, 19, Firstly, the context of that is addressing the issue of division or the issue of bringing a matter that one party is divided over against another in the church. And Jesus concludes his teaching by saying, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father. 
You see, you've got to understand Satan's agenda for your family, Satan's agenda for our lives and for the church is to divide and conquer. He's unleashed a spirit of division upon the earth. I don't know about you, but it seems like the lines are being drawn and people are using their words as weapons more than ever before, aiming it at people. And yet the Bible says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers of darkness in the heavenly realm that is behind people's actions and how they go about what they do. The adversary knows something that we must be aware of. The quickest way to destroy the church and to destroy a move of God in your life is through self-interest. In fact, I love what Patrick Lencioni says. He says, self-interest is the pinnacle of dysfunction. Wherever you see dysfunction in a team, a business, a government, an organisation or in the local church, it will be because of an individual or several individuals that are completely preoccupied with their self-interest. And what happens is it leads to division. But when we come into the Kingdom of God, when we come into the church, I'm telling you, when we lay down our weapons of self-interest and pick up the weapon of prayer and get unified and in agreement about the spirit of prayer and intercession. I'm telling you a church that prays together not only stays together, it advances God's kingdom together, it grows together. It's time to go up to the upper room. The Bible says in Psalm 133, how good and pleasant it is when we dwell in unity. There God commands the blessing. What does the upper room require? Well, the upper room actually requires self-devotion, not leader dependence. The upper room requires self-devotion, not dependence upon a leader. How do I know that? Because the Bible tells us in Acts 1.14, all these with one accord, power of unified agreement, were devoting themselves. They weren't just waiting or relying upon a leader to motivate them. There's another phrase in Acts 2.42 that says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, breaking of bread and the prayers. Four primary things that the early church devoted themselves to. You need to know that the early church was self-motivated, not leader-dependent. They had a hunger for God. They had a hunger for truth. They had a hunger for prayer. They had a hunger for fellowship. Why? Because they were self-motivated. They were hungry for the things that Jesus said was coming. And I'm telling you, I'm prophesying over somebody today. I'm prophesying over this church. There's a greater move of God coming to your address. There's a greater move of God coming into your business. There's a greater move of God coming to Numa Church and to the city of Melbourne in Jesus' Name. But I'm telling you, it'll come back to your hunger for the things of God. That translates into your or action, where we need to wake up out of our spiritual apathy and our complacency and begin to devote ourselves, not wait to be dependent upon a leader to pump up our tyres to get us focused and moving where we need to go. You see, when we see the church as a dispenser of spiritual goods and services, 
We expect to be treated like a customer gets treated at retail shopping or at a restaurant. And when you bring a customer mindset to the local church, expecting that the pastor and the team dispenses spiritual goods and services and basically ministers to us and we are consumers that we go away and based upon how good the ministry was will be dependent on whether we give it a, you know, a five out of 10 or an eight out of 10 or whether we think it was beneficial for us today and we rate the worship and we rate the preaching. When we bring a customer-based approach into the house of God, we miss the power of self-devotion. We miss the benefit of actually being those who are not waiting to be dependent upon a leader to motivate us, but to actually come to God ourselves and begin to take personal responsibility for our spiritual growth in God. If there's one thing that I've observed about spiritual immaturity is that it loves to live vicariously through someone else's sacrifice. Spiritual immaturity wants somebody else to do the heavy lifting. It wants somebody else to pray sacrificially. Somebody else, can you please pass the study the Word of God for me and tell me what is God's will for my life? And when we get into that mode, we start to treat leadership like it's a spiritual shaman that gives us the will of God for our lives rather than seeking the will of God for ourselves, rather than studying the Word of God for ourselves. Don't you dare live vicariously through my revelation of the Word of God. I'm here to equip you. I'm here to point you to Jesus. I'm here to feed you the Word, but it should only be out of the overflow of me feeding myself as well as the overflow of you feeding you in your life. You see, what spiritual immaturity does, it waits for others to take the initiative instead of taking personal responsibility. It waits for others to pick up the mantle of serving in the life of the church rather than saying, I'm available, I'm willing, and I'm ready to help. What spiritual maturity does, it stokes the fire of our own responsibility. It takes responsibility to build an altar of worship in our own homes. It takes responsibility to go up to the upper room and begin to stoke the fire of the Spirit. I wanna tell every single believer today, your fire is your responsibility. I am not responsible for your fire. I am responsible for my fire. I'm responsible for my upper room. And let me tell you, I've ascended it. I ascend it every morning. I ascend it every day. I ascend it every night. I will go up to the upper room because it's time to go to the upper room. Where is your upper room? Where is that time and that place that you have set aside to go and stoke the fire of your personal intimacy with God? Every single parent will remember spoon feeding their children. I'm sure, Pastor Rob, you can remember spoon feeding your kids all those years ago. And you get that, you know, uh, vegetable puree that's there on that dinner table and you got the spoon and and, and you wouldn't eat it yourself. No wonder the kids don't want to eat it. And uh, we get that spoon in there and, you know, it's like open up in the aeroplane and you do all sorts of creative gymnastics to try and get 
that kid, that rebellious little heathen to eat that vegetable pumpkin puree. And you're like, open up, the aeroplane's coming in. And, and, and you do that because that's what you've got to do to feed your kid and make sure that it grows strong and, and healthy and nutritious in its, in its eating because that kid doesn't know any better. It, that kid is immature. It's developing a framework and understanding of the importance of eating as well as eating good food. But guess what? If I was still spoon feeding my daughter Chelsea at 16 years of age, we'd start to ask questions. We'd start to be like, what has gone wrong here in the Turner household? That we have a grown teenager that should have been taught the fundamentals of feeding themselves all those years ago and yet he's 16 years of age and here's Papa Turner sitting at the dining table. Open up, Chelsea. Here comes the aeroplane. I know you don't want pumpkin smash, but it's coming one way or the other. Something would be wrong. We would ask questions and yet why is it that that is often a picture of the modern church where leaders are burning themselves out, spoon feeding immature believers and followers of Christ, trying to convince them of things that they already should be doing. I'm telling you, the modern church is often more uh, knowledgeable and informed than we are obedient of what God asks us to do. If you would just take 1% of anything that I shared today and begin to put it into action in your life, I'm telling you, you'll see a revival come into your life and begin to change your life like never before. You're not to receive condemnation from what I'm saying, but I do believe that that God is trying to speak to us a prophetic challenge and saying it's time for us to wake up out of our spiritual immaturity and our spiritual complacency and go to the upper room and begin to seek God because not only do we need it, but our city, our state, our nation, this planet needs a move of God like we've never seen before. What fuels the passion of the upper room? The answer is found in the text. You see, the passion of the upper room is prayerful intimacy with Jesus. In verse 14, the Bible says, all these with one accord, unified agreement, were devoting themselves to prayer. That the priority, the passion of the upper room was prayer-filled intimacy, meditating and focusing upon Jesus You see, God can do anything, but if we don't pray, He won't move. He can move, He wants to move, but God has chosen in His sovereignty to limit His intervention in the affairs of humanity to the prayers of His people. Because if he didn't, then you and I would simply be robots that would simply be yes, sir, no, sir, three bags full, sir. But God doesn't want relationship with a robot. He wants relationship with his sons and daughters made in the image and likeness of God. He shared his dominion and his authority with us. And he's calling us into divine partnership where we declare your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is what Jesus taught the disciples to pray as what that partnership in prayer actually looks like. People ask all the time, even particularly in 2020, I may have asked it a few times myself, why doesn't God do something? 
And God's response comes back, why don't you pray? And if you'll pray, watch what I'll do. Because I gave you dominion. I gave you authority. And guess what? What you lost in the Garden of Eden has been restored to you on the cross of Jesus Christ. And in that garden tomb, when Jesus was raised from the dead, why don't you pray? You see, I've often learned that never to complain about something in the world that I'm first of all not committed to praying for. I don't know about you, have you ever found yourself complaining about something, whinging about something? I remember a couple of years ago, uh, whinging about something and I'm, you know, uh, talking about it at home and to my wife, to Simone and, and, and I'm whinging and complaining and the Holy Spirit said to me, why don't you just pray about it? Why don't you stop complaining about it? And why don't you pray about it? Sometimes I think we think that our complaining is actually intercession when it's not. If you find yourself like I have in 2020, complaining about certain aspects of the reality of the world that we live in, you know what I've learned? It doesn't change anything. What changes it is prayer. What changes is start to go up to the upper room and start to seek God in prayer because as you pray, the Holy Spirit transforms your heart. As you pray, the Holy Spirit fills your heart with His desires. He fills your mind with His perspectives. He puts into your heart His priorities. He softens the hardness of your heart towards the things that are on God's heart and prayer that is only fixated on problems often never changes anything. But prayer that is fixated on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Let me tell you, there's always a solution in the presence of Jesus. There's always a solution in the the face of Jesus. Don't allow yourself to become so preoccupied with all of the issues going on around you that you lose sight of the face of Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. You yourself may have felt distressed in this season over lots of things that are happening around you, but I'm telling you there are solutions in the presence of Jesus. There are solutions. The Psalmist said, it seemed to me a wearisome task until, very important word, until I went into the sanctuary of God's presence and in the presence of God, I discerned their end. Why is it that the wicked prosper? Why is it that this is going on in the world? I discern. There are things you'll discern in the upper room. You'll never discern anywhere else because the purpose of the upper room is a great awakening upon our hearts and upon the earth. The purpose of the upper room is a great spiritual outpouring upon our lives and upon our churches and upon our city and upon our nation because that is in fact what happened at the very next chapter. Acts chapter 2 verse 2 said, suddenly, suddenly, important word, suddenly, I preached about it two weeks ago, suddenly there came from heaven a sound, the sound of revival, the sound like a mighty rushing wind. It filled the entire house where they were seated and divided tongues as a fire appeared and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance and it didn't end there. From there, 3,000 people got 
not saved because this is not a power to give you warm fuzzies and cute little experiences. This is a power that will give you what you need to witness to the world around you of the saving grace and the goodness of the Gospel of Jesus Christ for every person who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Do you realise that the disciples had no idea they didn't have our vantage point of looking at the Scriptures and working out the time frames from the time they went into the upper room to the day of Pentecost. They had no idea how long they would be in the upper room waiting for the Holy Spirit to be poured out. But the Bible tells us it took 10 days of prevailing prayer to experience a suddenly from heaven. I remember I was reading this passage one day and the Lord said to me, every church, every believer is only 10 days of prayer away from a great awakening. What are you willing to sacrifice? What are you willing to put on hold for 10 days to see a great awakening come into your life and into your family and into your business and into this city? Could it be that this city is only 10 days away from a great awakening, from a great opening? Should the people of God begin to seek God and go into the upper room and begin to pray? You can't program a revival, but you can sure position for it. You can position for it. Every promise of God is yes and amen. There are 5,476 promises of God in the Word of God. Which one are you positioning yourself for? You see, every mother-to-be, before a mother-to-be gives birth to a baby, there must be a positioning that takes place in that womb. And every mother-to-be knows if that baby is breached, There are things in the natural that doctors and midwives can do to try and get that baby into position. But if that baby is breached and it's not in position, some extra attention has to be given. Caesarean or something has to be done because that baby has to get into position before that beautiful sound of that baby's voice is heard in the world. I'm telling you the same is in the Spirit. If we don't position ourselves in prayer, there will be no birthing, no great awakening of the Spirit of God across our city and across our nation. We've got to get into the birthing position for revival, for the awakening of the Spirit. I believe this in my bones that it's time to go to the upper room. But I wanna say to you today, don't go to the upper room just by yourself. Go there with other believers because there's something about getting together two or three, four or five believers And we're coming into a season, whether it's on Zoom or live, get together with other believers. I see a picture of prayer meetings breaking out across the city of Melbourne, breaking out across Numa, Perth and breaking out across Bangkok, breaking out across the state of Victoria where believers are gathering together in houses and they're starting to seek God. When there's church online, don't just watch it yourself, gather together, bring people together and begin to listen and pray and seek God. I see an upper room 
on the next floor of our city location. I see another floor being added to our city location. And I see an upper room prayer chapel. I see that Charles Parham opening in the dome, the turret, the the attic of this house. And I see us going to the upper room with an open window towards our city. And we're decreeing and declaring and prophesying the will of the Lord over our city. I see it. It's going to be in time to come. It's time to go to the upper room. You see, the key word in this passage is the word together. They didn't do it by themselves. Oh, awesome. Spend time with Jesus by yourself. I do it every morning by myself. But I tell you what, it doesn't end there. I grab people and I say, together, let's go to the upper room. Let's seek God. There's never been a historical revival, a move of God in history where it just happened to an individual. People came together. Believers came together. Two, three, five, ten, twenty, fifty. They came together and they started to seek God in the upper room. In fact, that is how this church started. Pastor Stacy, our prophetic leader, was telling us about how for nine years in C.L. Greenwood's house, before Richmond Temple ever came into being, he would open up his house for prayer on weekends, during the week, and one by one by one, he would call people. This church started in the upper room. It started in a house where someone was willing to sacrifice for nine years to see this church in all of its glory and all that God has done. And you know what, as good as it is, do you realise this isn't the end? This is only the beginning. This is the floor of the ceiling of which to which God wants to take us. It's time we've got to open up our houses again. We're going to open up the upper room again. We're going to build another floor on this building again. And we're going to go to the upper room. We're going to start to seek God. And we're going to start to gather together again in houses across our city. Why? Because when we do, we position ourselves for a great awakening of His Spirit. Wherever you are right now, I want to pray a mantle of prayer and intercession to come upon your life that you'll just have a hunger for the presence of God, a hunger for intercession. Maybe you might want to get on your knees right where you are. Maybe you might want to just stand up and begin to lift your hands and begin to pray, begin to intercede right now as I pray for you. Father, right now, in Jesus' Name, I'm praying for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in a mantle of intercession and prayer to come upon every person who is listening, who is watching this online. Father, I pray right now that You begin to fill people, oh God, with such a thirst and a hunger for Your Spirit. I declare it's time to go to the upper room. It's time to begin to ascend that prayer tower and begin to seek Your face. God, there are many things we can't control. There are many things that I can't do in the natural in this season, but I tell you what I can do. I can go to the upper room and I can sit there in heavenly places with You and I can speak to the principalities and powers of darkness in this world that is seeking to influence and bring chaos upon our city and upon our nation. And I can declare the goodness of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, the Name of Jesus, the authority of that Name over every every demon in hell, over every agenda of the enemy. And Father, we come into unified agreement for Your goodness and Your grace and Your mercy, Your loving kindness to be seen all across 
this nation, all across this city of Melbourne. I'm praying, let a spirit of conviction come upon us today. A conviction to pray, a conviction to study your word, a conviction to witness, a conviction to not live independently of each other, but together they went up to the upper room. Father, I'm praying, let this message of the upper room grip this church. Let it grip every home. Let it grip every believer. Let them build upper rooms in their houses. Let them build, let us build an upper room in this city location. Let us, oh God, storm the gates of darkness with prayer and intercession. Let a wave of revival prayer rise up from this house. Come on right now, wherever you are, just say in Jesus' name, I receive. I receive this message. I receive this call. I receive this anointing upon my life. Come on, let's worship. Let's sing. Let's pray as we declare. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died, and rose again, conquering sin, Satan, and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead, and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, Amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.